In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It sounds like the beginning of a run-of-the-mill joke, doesn't it? A Pharisee and a tax collector go into a bar, I mean, up to the temple to pray. Of course, having heard this parable before and being no stranger to sermons on it, we know the punchline already, don't we? The Pharisee is going to end up looking like a heel because, well, he's a Pharisee and that's how these stories go. Not always, mind you, but often enough that we tend to brush all Pharisees with the same caricatured stroke, hypocritical, legalistic, self-righteous. But that was not the case for Jesus's first listeners. When they heard the opening of the parable, they anticipated a very different punchline. The tax collector would be the butt of the joke. He would be the negative example, the bad guy. Because remember, tax collectors were rich, powerful, well-connected, and tight with the party in power. That is, the Roman occupiers for whom they collected taxes from their own people, often overcharging and skimming a personal profit off the top. Needless to say, that did not endear them to first century Jews. And Jesus' listeners would have seen in the Pharisee not the poster child of hypocrisy or legalism, but the member of a well-respected and sincere sect who earnestly sought to follow Torah as God commanded with all of their heart, soul, mind, and body. And they, the people first listening to Jesus' parable, would have heard in the Pharisees' prayer echoes of other Jewish prayers, echoes even of the Psalms, Psalms of thanksgiving, Psalms of petition that are often grounded in the psalmist or petitioner's own righteousness. In Psalm 17, for example, the psalmist says, psalmist says you'll find no wickedness in me. As for the way of others, I haven't gone that way. I've avoided violence. So it would have been a big surprise that the tax collector went home justified. But 2,000 years later, that surprise is largely lost on us because we know the moral before we hear the story even. Be like the tax collector, not the Pharisee. Pray like the tax collector, not the Pharisee. Be humble, not proud. Don't judge. Don't brag. Be quick to acknowledge your shortcomings. Beat your breast 
and ask for mercy. And before you know it, we have yet another set of rules about prayer, which might actually make us only more anxious about it and perhaps less honest, less authentic in our prayer, in our showing up to God before you know it. We have yet another list of do's and don'ts promising to guarantee our own justification and to protect us from looking like those wrong-headed, self-righteous, impossible other people. You can fill in that blank with many, many things. Thank God I'm not like her. She's so arrogant. Thank God we're not like them. Thank God we are humble and open-minded and loving. We know how to worship. We know how to vote. We know how to interpret the facts. We know what this country needs. And oops, oops, I just sounded a whole lot like the caricature of the Pharisee, didn't I? It's like this default setting that keeps getting back on my computer, no no matter how many times I try to remove it. This judging, stereotyping, comparing, and separating, it's a tendency that runs deep and wide and seems baked even into the way that Christians have read, interpreted, and translated this parable, though the parable itself exposes it and challenges it. The parable itself exposes and challenges this default thinking. We are all accustomed, I believe, to the translation we heard just now that Canon Maxwell read. This man, the tax collector, went down to his home justified rather than the other. Rather than. It's one or the other. And that rather than plays conveniently into our default setting and sets us off and running, doing what we know how to do, which is to figure out what the tax collector did right to justify his being justified and to figure out what the Pharisee did wrong to justify his apparent condemnation. All with an eye to protecting ourselves and avoiding the Pharisees' fate ourselves. But, but, the parable could also, that line could also be translated, this one went home justified alongside the other. This one went home justified alongside the other. I'm not making that up. It is the Greek preposition para, the root that we find in words like parallel, paramount, para-Olympics, and even 
parable. It can mean rather than, yes, but it also can just as legitimately mean alongside or beside. Interesting that translations default to the former, isn't it? What if, what if it reads, the tax collector went home justified alongside the Pharisee? Well, that changes everything, doesn't it? Like Jesus' first listeners, we are compelled to take another look with a different lens. We are invited to take off that individualistic lens and put on a relational one. And when we do, we find that the tax collector and the Pharisee are not polar opposites after all. They're not that different even. They're both in the same temple. They're both praying. They're both praying prayers for that matter that sound like prayers that come out of the Psalms. And they are both standing apart. They are both standing apart by themselves as if they weren't connected to others. Even though, even though they are praying alongside each other to the same God in the same temple, both prayers and both of the people who pray them belong to God and to this holy place, both together are justified or made righteous, restored to right relationship. And both are needed. They need each other's perspective and prayer and example. Their prayers, along with their righteousness or salvation or wholeness, are bound to and encompass one another's. What each of them gets right is good for the other also. It doesn't count against the other. It is good for the other. Now, it's easy to see how the Pharisee needs and benefits from the tax collector's humility, isn't it? And from the tax collector's simple, humble prayer for mercy. But the tax collector also needs and benefits from the Pharisee's prayer and presence, I believe. At a moment when the tax collector can barely lift up his face to God, at a moment when he seems to feel incapable of good works himself or of gratitude or of pride, the Pharisee does it for him and shows him that it's possible still. Now, pride gets a bad rap in many Christian circles. You may have alarm bells going off saying, be careful, be careful. Pride's a bad thing, but it's not always a bad thing. After all, 
This month, we celebrate Gay Pride. Last weekend, there was a Gay Pride parade, and we celebrated people who may have been shamed more often than celebrated and who may have internalized some of that shame. We celebrate that, they, that we can be proud, boldly proud of who we are. Pride can be a way of saying, God created me also and called me good. Pride can be a way of receiving and celebrating God's gifts in ourselves and in others. I am so proud of my children, and I have still not outgrown the desire to make the people I love proud. I still haven't outgrown the joy I feel when I have made my own parents proud. And every now and then, every now and then, by the grace of God, I find that I can even be proud of myself. Pride, sure, can be distorted, but it's really only a sin when it is distorted, when it leads to putting yourself in the place of God, imagining that you are different from and superior to others, and therefore separate from them, apart from others. But isn't much of that also true about shame or self-loathing or exaggerated humility? It too buys into this illusion of a hierarchy of worthiness. It too buys into the illusion that there is some fundamental difference between yourself and others. In this case, a difference grounded in inferiority as opposed to superiority. But still, that assumption of a fundamental difference leads, just like distorted pride can, to separation from others and God. And shame or self-loathing can, just like pride, mean that we are putting more trust in ourselves, in what we have done or not done, in what we believe is good or bad about ourselves, than in God and in God's grace. So, today at least, I don't think that this is a parable about pitting humility against pride or about figuring out who's right, who's wrong, who's in or out, who's justified, who's not. It's a parable about God. It's a parable about God who hears all prayers and sees and loves all those behind prayers, regardless of how proper those prayers are. It's a parable about God who justifies or seeks right relationship with every single one of us 
and who also seeks right relationship among us. The two are bound together. And if God is not about the business of sorting us into good or bad, in or out, justified or not, then maybe, just maybe, we don't need to be either. Maybe, just maybe, we could turn all of that energy, all of that attention away from how we measure up against others or don't, for better or worse, and toward God. Maybe we could turn all of that attention and energy toward God, who made us part of one another's healing and part of one another's wholeness, and whose grace meets us and finds us all. Amen.